0: Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good. Um, I just finished 75 hard. I'm feeling really, really, really good about it. I took a pre-workout drink this morning and then didn't work out, so I'm like, ah. So I'm just sweating a lot, so I apologize. Anyway, but anyway, uh, hey, hey, before we get into this, first of all, welcome to all our campuses, our brothers at Lyman, people around the world, all that kind of stuff. Hey, two weeks from now is Easter. All right, come on, it's Easter. It's, a, it's the most important event in the history of the universe and we celebrate it. And we, and we, we celebrate Easter big around here. So uh, let, let me just tell you what's happening with Easter at Flatirons this year. First of all, we're adding a bunch of services on a bunch of days. I'm not gonna go through all of that because there's different campuses and all that. You can get on flatironschurch.com or you can get on our app and all that will be there. Uh, and also we'll be at, uh, streaming on Easter Sunday morning at 9 and 11, again, around the world. Now here's what I need you to do, a few things on there. One is, um, I'm gonna, we're gonna ask you, to register for one of those services, okay? It's not required, we're not gonna turn anybody away, but it kind of lets us know and make plans on how many people are showing up for dinner, basically, all right, and so we just wanna know that, and so we'll put up, there going, this one's feeling feeling kind of full, you might wanna pick another one, but uh, again, we're not gonna turn anybody away, and I I know that some of you are like, uh, like I haven't come to church the whole time since like COVID started and all that kind of stuff, and some of you have very, very strong philosophies around masks, let me just tell you my philosophy, I don't care. Okay, I'm so done with COVID. Anybody else? So again, I have no statement on mask whatsoever. I made a statement at nine o'clock and I got in trouble with my staff. So I have no statement. I just don't care anymore. Anyway, uh, so there's that. I'm probably getting in trouble for that one too. There's other things I'm gonna talk about today I'm gonna get in trouble for, so buckle up. Uh, the other thing is, hey, um, so as more and more people are coming back to church, as, as things kind of open up, uh, one of the things that we've noticed is that uh, we need our volunteer pool to come back, especially when it comes to guest services and, and, uh, and our, our kids' ministry, our student ministries, because so many people say, like, I had to back up, and I understand that because everybody's on their own, whatever that is, and they have their own health things going on, stuff like that. We need our volunteer pool to come back back. So if you took a break you know, a year ago uh, because of COVID, totally get it. We need you back. And if you've never volunteered around here, Easter's the time we need you to sign up. So in all of our lobbies, uh, at all of our campuses, you can stop on your way out, right? And you can stop out there and you can go, well, where do you need me? Do you need me in kids? Do you need me in parking lots? Do you need me in student ministries? And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end here in just a few minutes talking about some of that again. But we need you, if you've never served before, and you call this your church, this is your chance to do it for one time and, uh, and, and help us, okay? Because we actually have people showing up at Flatirons campuses and taking their kids to kids' ministry, and we're turning them away. Not because we have too many kids, we don't have enough volunteers, and so we don't wanna, some people are gonna come to church for the very first time, let's don't turn anybody away, okay? So let's stop out there and sign up for that, okay, okay? Yeah, seven of you, whatever that is. So here's the other thing. Here's the other thing about, uh, about Easter that I'm really, really excited about. We are combining Easter weekend with baptism weekend, which are my two favorite things in, in the world. We haven't, we've not done baptisms one time in the last year since COVID started. It was a drive-up thing in lobbies and parking lots at all of our campuses. We had like 350 people do that. I, uh, so we're gonna combine baptism weekend with Easter. And the reason I'm telling you that two weeks out is, uh, especially if you're listening online, when we did the, the drive-up baptisms over the summer, people flew in from a across the country, drove in, got hotels and stuff like that. So I wanna give you a heads up. This is the perfect, of of all the weekends in the year where you can invite somebody to come to church with you where the, the probability of them saying yes goes up, it's Christmas and Easter. We call those priesters, that's what we call them, right? All right. But they, they're more likely to say yes on that. And then you say, hey, I'm baptizing my whole family that weekend. I would like to just bring you know, carloads of people with me. We just we just want you to be able to, to do that. And so, so some of you can be thinking about baptism. I'm gonna land there in just a minute. You're not gonna hear anything else I say, and that's okay, all right? You, are, you ready? You ready for this? I'm excited. Hey, let, let's, uh, let, let's get in this. So uh, we're on week five, I think, of, of a, a series that we're calling Storyline, where we're looking at our lives and kind of looking in the mirror going, is this the life I wanted? You know, back in middle school or high school in your yearbook, you know, I want to do this with my life. Are you anywhere close to that in the most important parts and relationships in your life? Is your story the compelling story that you have a dream of, right? Or have you put up a white flag because of circumstances in your life? It all makes sense, okay? But is that what you want the rest of your story to be? So what we've been doing is we've been looking at like all the, the good stories that, like the, the, that you've heard about or read or, or seen movies or whatever that is, what do they have in common that we have to have in our own lives for the, for, the, for the life that God has given to us? So here's where we started five or six weeks ago, right? First, you have to know your compelling vision, right? This is all review. A compelling vision is, is the why. why. Why do I exist? Why do I breathe air, why, why, what is the most important purpose that God has given to me when he put me on this earth? If, if your life is a, is a story, your compelling, your compelling vision is the plot, the purpose, all right? It's the destination of the journey of your life. I live my life to do this or accomplish this. Do you have any idea what that is? Because it's really important that we figure that out. God's given you a vision and a mission. Have you figured that out yet? For, second of all, it must be supported by what we call a relentless conviction, uh, no matter what happens to me, I will hang on to and I'll believe that what God has said and promised to me and about me is true and it hasn't changed and nobody gets to take that away from me if God gave it to me. It's, 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 I, 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 it's relentless, all right? It must lead to courageous action. Just like every great story, every great mission, all right? It might start in your head. You're thinking about your life. It might start in your heart when you're, and you're really like feeling this about your life, but it must lead to something on the outside, It must lead to you getting off your rear, getting off the couch and getting up or getting back up and then going and doing different things so you can experience new and different. And by that I mean better. Jesus said abundant results in your life. Up to and including, I gotta go fight. I gotta go to war for the most important parts of my life, for the most important relationships in my life. They're not gonna hand them to me and everybody's gonna try to take them away from me. So I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna go to war. Next, you have to operate out of what we call an an anointed authority, an authority that Jesus has given to you to to do and go and do what he has told you to do and and, and go do. And and we have to remember that as we go and do what Jesus has told us to do, we are kind of operating as an extension of him or a representative of the one who called us and sent us to do it. When we're out there going, I'm living my life, we're not on our own agenda. This is what I wanna do. This is what I wanna do with my marriage. This is what I wanna do with my kids. No, we are actually operating out of the one who sent us. He anointed us and he gave us the authority to go do it. Then last week we looked at this, we must have what we call confident humility. And those seem like they're at odds with each other, but we, our, confidence, our confidence and our security is, we actually know that our value comes from God and not from other people. So we don't have to be insecure. And as we go out there and we're actually trying to live our lives, we don't have to defend ourselves to other people. We don't have to explain everything to other people. We just know that God has given it to us. Therefore, because we we don't have to live defensively, we we can humbly and obediently do anything God tells us to do. From the most menial task, it's not beneath us, to the greatest task, trusting that God is in charge of doing the impossible, and God is in charge of the results, not us. What we're in charge of is obedience. We show up every day and we do what God has told us to do. Now, that's what we've covered, right? And it seems like we've covered all the, like the most important parts of every good story. We got vision, we got conviction, we got action, we got authority, and we got confidence. And it seems like if a person has all those things in their possession, they can pretty much do anything. Right, They could take on like, like any mission, climb every mountain, you know, defeat every foe, defeat every in- enemy, and, and come to the final like, chapters of their life and look back over their life and go, I did it, we did it, God. That, is, that, that, was, a good, that was a really, really good life. But what I've found in, in most stories, even the, the best movies, the best novels, whatever that I've ever read or heard about, whenever the victor or the hero returns home from the mission, the first thing that he or she always does is they give thanks to or they recognize that throughout that journey, they didn't do it by themselves. They, they weren't alone. Nobody did it for them, but they weren't alone. That, that at a crucial like, time in that journey, when all hope seemed lost, along came someone. And sometimes it was like an obvious ally. They always show up. But a lot of times it was like a total surprise. No way. But due to that strategic relationship, that, that person at just the right time, certain defeat or, or, or the end of the failure of, of the, me, the mission was avoided and the story could lead on to victory. It was able to continue. And that's what I wanna look at today. I wanna look at this concept, strategic relationships. That's what I wanna talk about, right? As we, as we move towards Easter and wrapping this up. So let's just say relationship, let's just break it down. Relationship simply means this. It's the connection and interaction between two things, two objects, two, two people. They just, they're connected and they interact, all right? And we're talking about people. And their interaction um, in that relationship can be a good one or a bad one. It can be a good connection, a bad connection, right? It makes sense, right? For example, um, a good relationship would be described or characterized by words like trust. Do you agree with that? We trust each other, we're committed to one another, we respect one another, we're, there's vulnerability between us, there's ongoing honest communication. If you have that, that's, you need that to have a good relationship, a good connection. A, a bad relationship would be characterized by different words, like words like we don't trust each other, distrust, or it's inconsistent, I never know what I'm gonna get, it's disrespectful, it's dishonesty, it's all about manipulation. Now now here's what we all know about every relationship that we've ever been in with another person. Even the good ones are not perfect, right? I mean, look at the person next to you. Ta-da, right, right? Um, It's it's like, even, (laughs) look straight ahead. Even the the best relationships will have moments where the words from the bad relationship list will show up and make an appearance, and there's a reason for that. It's because of you. (laughs) Because all relationships are made up of imperfect people. And we all make imperfect choices and decisions and they land on one another. Ours land on people and others land on us. That's just life. And knowing that any relationship brings with it a a certain level of risk which hopefully goes down over time and trust goes up over time as as time proves that the, the, the words on the good list heavily outweigh the appearance of words on the bad list. But until that happens, Here's just a reality check. All relationships bring with them an element of risk. Every relationship you're in, there's a risk component to it. The people that you're with right now, and even God, right? So your, op- your options are, like your two deals on the table are either this, don't have any. And That's what a lot of us do. We put a wall up around our life. Nobody's gonna hurt me again. You know, don't have any relationships to ensure or lessen your risk or your chance of being burned or hurt, again, like we've all had happen to us. So that's one option. Here's another one. I think it's a better one. How about this? You must be very strategic with whom you choose to enter into a relationship. It's very important. Be strategic. Followed by this, you must be very strategic in what your hopes and expectations are of this relationship. And I'm gonna come back to that later, okay? And here's what I mean by, you have to be strategic. But when you ask yourself strategic, does this relationship with her or him or whatever, does it align with and serve the God-given vision and mission for my life? Does me hanging tight with him or her, does that serve the God-given mission for my life? And here's why this is so important. And again, no matter where you stand on the whole belief in God thing, a a little bit or not at all, whatever, this is just true. This is just human being true, okay? here's Here's what I mean by that. First of all, all relationships cost you something, right? In time, in in, in energy, and in attention, all right? So all relationships cost you something. And, And second of all, because of your finite and limited amount of time, energy, and attention, whatever relationship you choose to engage in and invest in will by necessity displace something else because you can't and don't have enough time, energy, and attention for everything and everyone wanting a piece of you. That's just reality, okay? So you will strategically have to choose where and where not to point your limited time, energy, and attention. You gotta make a choice here. I don't have time for everything. If you choose to say yes to one relationship, it will mean that you will have to say no to something else. One one time Jesus said it like this. He said, let your yes be yes and your no actually mean no. And when it comes to relationships, I think it would apply this way. How about let your yes be a strategic yes. There's a reason I said yes to that one. And your no be a strategic no. And again, your life, your story is a mission. It has a purpose, and you have limited amount of time, energy, and attention. So the question that you must ask yourself is this, does this relationship and all the time and all the energy and all the attention that it will require, does it align with and serve the God-given vision, interest, and mission that God has given me for my life? And if so, what do I need to say no to because it's interfering with, it's competing with, and it's displacing the compelling vision that God has called me to and entrusted me with? I have to say no to some stuff. It may not be bad stuff, right? It, it just may be stuff that's keeping me from accomplishing the most important thing. And if it isn't, I, I can't do that anymore. Well, I'll give you an example. One of my, one of my favorite quotes I heard uh, about a year ago is from, uh, from uh, General Douglas MacArthur, who was given charge of the whole Pacific, uh, uh, of World War II, that, 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 that whole theater. He said, hey, in this war in the next two years. So you know, conquer the Pacific, invade Japan, and end World War II. So whenever MacArthur was asked about his policies, his decisions, why are you gonna do that and not do that? Why do you give that order? Why did you change the order? Why did you build it that way? Why did you say no to this or whatever? The filter through which everything went through was one strategic question. And the question was not, is that a good thing? Or is that a bad thing? Everything that came to his desk had. There's one question: Does that get me to Japan? If so, let's do it a lot. If not, throw it overboard, and we'll do something else. Okay? Same thing with our life. Does that get me to where God has told me to go? Now, let me give you one more like point around strategic relationships and then we'll look at what that looked like in the storyline of Jesus and then we'll get really intrusive about our own lives. That's what we do here, all right? So, so given the compelling vision and mission that God has, has commanded and called you to and hopefully that's starting to solidify in your head, along with the authority to go and do it, if all that's true, then whatever it takes to pursue and pull off that vision and mission must rise to the priority list of your life. It must go towards the top, and in other words, there are a lot of things that you and I have to do this week, dozens, maybe hundreds of things, but there are some things that only you have been told and entrusted to do, and if you do anything or everything else except that, you're off mission, and the mission will fail. If you do all these good things, but you ignore the great thing that God has said spend your life on, you're off mission. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, I'll give it from my from my my own life. Okay, so as the lead pastor of Flatirons, my first calling and commission from the elders of this church. All right, the most important responsibility is to spend time in God's word every week, listening to what God is teaching me, and then prepare and deliver a message from this platform every week to to rooms like this, and then it's pumped out across the world. tens of thousands, okay, most important thing. Now, that's not saying there aren't other important things that I must attend to throughout the week. But if I were to do 50 other important things during the week and not be prepared to do the most important thing, walk up these six steps, turn right, and deliver a message from God's word, if I'm not ready to do this, the whole thing falls apart, right? Now, here's what that looks like in my life. I get literally dozens of of requests to do weddings and funerals and to counsel people in crisis every week. And I say no to almost all of them, not because I think I'm a big shot, not because I think I'm too good or too important to do stuff like that. It's very, very simple. First one is this I don't have a big skill set. <laughs> and it, it takes almost every bit of my bandwidth just to do this, okay? It just doesn't come to me like that. Some people, they just do it. It takes me a while to, to study and prepare messages. And, and I also have to keep some other very important things in, in order that only I can do. I have to lead our staff. Nobody else gets to do that. I have to take care of Robin, my, my family, okay? So that's more important than anything else, right? Now, if I walked up here next weekend and I said, turned to you all and I said, listen, I, 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 I got nothing. I just don't have anything to say today to you or the 50,000 people online because I spent, I spent a lot of my week today or this week counseling 10 people in crisis. If I do that, everybody loses, including those 10 people. Let me explain. I'm not saying that those 10 people and their trauma are not important. They are so important. The reason that they are reaching out to me to help is because God taught them something through me during the weekend and they sat in rooms like this and went, I think if he understands, maybe God understands. If I do my job right, right? And that's my highest priority, which is why I have surrounded myself with people who have a compelling vision for their lives, whose highest priority and highest calling of their life is they've been led and called to counsel people in crisis, to do funerals and weddings, to help you through your addictions and your your divorce and your parenting issues. What I'm doing here, that's what they do. It's the calling of their life. Now, for all you people who came from other churches, you're sitting here thinking, you know, at my last church, my pastor did everything. Good for you, she'd probably go back there. Um, So. (laughs) No, that's awesome, good for him or her, right, right, right. So did my dad. My dad did everything from vacuuming the carpets to preach, all right, everything, okay. Um, And he had a stroke in his 50s. Right? Here's what I know, I, I just know that by experience, when I take on too much, which I do a lot, especially when I take on stuff that somebody else is equally or better equipped to do, eventually I wear out, it catches up with me, and there's a really bad Tuesday morning meeting, and I'm on sabbatical, and that sucks, and I'm not doing it again. <laughs> so there's that. Now, I know my, I know my limits, all right? But let, let me give you a better example of a person who knew his number one calling and mission, and that would be Jesus, okay? G- Jesus is the best example of this. So a couple, couple things about Jesus. First of all, let's be clear on this. The number one compelling vision and mission of Jesus' life was the cross. Most important thing. I'm going to the cross. The reason Jesus left heaven and came into this world is to show us who and what God was truly like, ultimately demonstrated by the laying down of his own life on a cross to pay for the price or the wage of our sin that separates us from God. And he backed that claim of the ability to do that by rising from the dead on the third day, just like he said he would do. Now, because Jesus never strayed from his compelling vision and did something else, and because he was the only one who could do what only, one, only he had been sent to do, there was no plan B. It's either Jesus or we're lost, all right? The result is anyone, any one of us who puts their faith in what Jesus has done for them on that cross shall not perish, but have eternal life and connection to God forever. Mission accomplished, which is why we will celebrate that event on Easter in two weeks. Number one, most compelling vision for his life. The number two compelling vision and mission of Jesus was investing in and preparing a small group of men and women. He poured his life into a few people, disciples, who would take everything that they had heard and seen Jesus say and do, they would take that to the ends of the world, eventually all the way to Colorado, baptizing those who came to faith in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those people who have the forgiveness of sins, and, and it would make it possible, Jesus would make it possible for God's own spirit to come and live inside of them. Again, mission accomplished, which is why over 2,000 years later, you are sitting where you are sitting, hearing what they passed on, to us. Right? See, think about this. If Jesus had made forgiveness possible, which he did over 2000 years ago, but nobody had been prepared or invested in to pass that message of what of what really was possible for people like us, Jesus did his part, but the mission would have failed because we didn't know about it. See, think about this. Everything that Jesus did and every strategic relationship along the way served that compelling vision go to the cross and take away everybody's sin, invest in my disciples to take this message to the end of the world. Nothing competed with that, nothing. Nothing got in the way of that, not even once. Jesus never said, I'll get back to that later and did something else, never. This is what I'm about. And I'm not going left or right, you follow me? Now listen, Jesus did a lot of stuff. I mean, you read his story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the gospels or the biographies of Jesus. Like for example, Jesus fed a lot of people. He, he fed people that were, were, were just hungry, all right? And people tried to make him king so that they would keep on feeding them. One time, somebody actually criticized Jesus for not acting the way that he, they thought that he should act when it came to, 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 to poor people. And, and Jesus actually said this. He says, you'll always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do that for them, all right? So he's taking away, yeah, you're always gonna have that. There's always gonna be hungry people, and you, you take care of them, but you will not always have me. Now, that sounds harsh, I mean, it's important and compassionate to feed hungry people, right? You guys fed three and a half million hungry people from the Christmas offering this year, that's amazing. And Jesus did it a lot, and then he looks at us and says, you should do that too. But that's not the primary reason Jesus came. To, to paraphrase Jesus in another place, how about this? What good is it if a person has a full belly and everything they need, but in the end, they lose their soul, right? Feeding people is very important. It's not why he came. The the, the goal of Jesus was not to have well-fed people go to hell, right? There's there's something more going on. Jesus, how about this? Jesus healed a lot of people. He even resurrected people from the dead, dead people. He would would touch them and they would come come back to life, all right? And, And when he did that, the crowds got huge. I would go to that show, wouldn't You? Jesus had the Pepsi Center, bringing people back to life, sticking arms back on. I, I, would, I, would, I would love to go to that show, right? But, but that's not why he came. It was important, and it was a very loving thing to do in the moment, and it played a role in his mission, but that's not why he came. Even if Jesus healed or resurrected everybody he met during those three years, if he had done that but had abandoned his compelling vision, eventually all those people would have died again, and if their sin and condemnation had not been removed, then Jesus would have just been prolonging a really bad eternal end by a few years. He pushed it off, but they still went to hell. You following me? See, it's it's what his life was about From the moment that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the angels announced that the reason he was being born in Bethlehem was to take away the sin of the world, his strategic, compelling mission and vision. From the moment that he went public at his baptism, which Ben talked about a few weeks ago, until they nailed him to a cross three years later, everything in his life was about two strategic things, taking away the condemnation of our sin and investing in key strategic relationships to carry on the mission after he returned to his father. That's what I wanna look at today. I I wanna look at that second one Pouring his life into strategic relationships. Then we're gonna look at our lives. See, Jesus strategically picked out 12 young men to invest in. He, he, he invested in them relationally. He, he taught them what he knew about God. He ate and drank with them. He did life with them. He went fishing with them. He, he would be out in a big crowd, like a, a field full of people, and he would teach the big crowd amazing things about God, and then everybody would go home, and the disciples would be looking at him, and go, come over here, and he'd sit them down in a corner and go, here's what I'm talking about. And he, and he would pour his life into them in, in detail. Right? Uh, he, 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 also, he also, with these 12 especially, he got pretty tough on them. He got, he got pretty passionate when the need to like drive home the point was really, really important. I'll give an example with my favorite disciple. His name's Peter. We talk about Peter quite a bit in here, probably because we can relate to him so well. But, but, but Peter was, was one of Jesus' very first followers of those 12 guys. When Jesus met Peter, how do I say this? He was rough. A mess, like a train wreck, all right, right? Um, he had a loud mouth and a bad temper. That's probably why I like him. Um, but, but when you think Peter, picture this, blue collar, six pack PBR, redneck fisherman. That's Peter, okay? And here's the other thing about Peter. He's a fisherman, but anytime you find him in the Bible fishing, he's not catching anything. He's a bad fisherman, all right? So, but then Jesus bumps into him one day. And Jesus promised Peter that if Peter would follow him, if Peter would allow Jesus to strategically pour into him over this next couple years of his life, Jesus would turn Peter's life into something significant. Peter would go, this is how he explained it to to Peter, hey, I'll I'll, I'll take you from being a fisher of fish, I will turn you into a fisher of men. Something that I promise you, Peter had no idea what he was talking about, it just sounded better than gutting fish for the rest of my life. I'll go, right? And he did that, and he followed Jesus around for three years. So after hanging out with Jesus for a while, this happens. This is one of my favorite stories. This is so great. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, that's just a, a, an area of Israel, he asked his disciples, he got these 12 guys who are walking down the road, hey, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So this is one of the titles of Jesus. So basically going, so what are people saying about me? Who do they think I am, all right? And they said, well, some say, and there's three names here, they're all dead guys. Um, and they're like, maybe you're this guy. People are saying, maybe you're this person resurrected or or reincarnated or something like that. They said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Look at this. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ. Like, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. It's so good. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that I means son of Jonah, for, the fle- for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And you gotta get this, don't, don't rush past this. Because Jesus has invested in this one strategic relationship. Peter has gone over just the course of a few months from really bad redneck fisherman to he's the first human being on the planet to articulate, I know who you are. You're you're the Christ. You're the living God's one and only son. And he sent you on the mission of taking away the sin of the whole world and reconciling us and reconnecting us back to God. Right? And Jesus is looking at him like, yes! Yes, you, yes, fisherman. Right, right, right? He's like, he's like you're getting it, you're getting it. And Jesus begins to paint a picture of that, that whole, like, I'll make you a fisherman, what that meant years ago when he invited Peter to come follow him. He's looking at him, hey, Peter, buddy. Yeah, you're, you are, you're blessed. And it's obviously you're actually listening to God because God has taught you this. Nobody else taught you this. And the statement you just made, Peter, that I'm the Christ, the son of God, all right? That will, be the, that will be the rock, that will be the foundation and I'll build my church on, on that foundation and the gates of hell won't be able to stop my church and I'm gonna do that through you, Peter. See, See, Jesus knows what's coming. See, in just a few weeks from this moment right here, Peter will be the very first pastor in the very first church service ever and he will preach the very first sermon of what Jesus has done and made possible for us and thousands and thousands of people will respond and be baptized and their sins will be taken away and they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter's gonna do that six weeks from now. But Jesus also knows it's gonna be a rough 36 hours. He knows that Peter's gonna screw up quite a a bit along the way, like, I don't know, the next paragraph, all right? So what we just read, this is the next sentence, okay? From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So right there, right? Jesus is saying, okay guys, listen, number one, primary, most compelling vision and mission, I'm still on it, this is why I came. Now, this is so good, watch this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, time out, okay? This is how this goes, looks like in my, in my head, okay? So in gym world, this is what it is. Like, I'm pretty sure Peter's still riding pretty high on the paragraph above, <laughs> right? I mean, I, and I'd say based on some other stuff that you see in Peter's life in the Bible, he's walking around the road, like reminding these guys, did you hear what Jesus said? Like, i um, I'm blessed. All right, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a rock. alright I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm Jesus' favorite. I'm not bragging, I'm just saying that's what he said. But, but then he hears Jesus say, okay, it's time. Let's go to Jerusalem where I'm gonna suffer a lot and then I'm gonna be killed and then uh, be crucified and, and then I'm gonna rise on the third day, which is why I came and big mouth Peter steps in and announces, and I'd say with a lot of drama, far be it, this will never happen to you. And I think Jesus just goes, oh, bless your heart. Right? But this is what, this is what, this is what, Jesus, look at this, Jesus, he gets fired up. He said, he, Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wow. You are, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Again, don't miss this, all right? In just one moment, like in this paragraph, Jesus tells Peter that Peter is listening to God, and he's the rock on which Jesus will build His church. And then one paragraph later, he goes, "Hey Peter, you're not listening to God, and you're actually Satan because you're trying to keep me from my primary mission." Wow, that's a roller coaster, right? And I bet Peter's going, huh, what? What? I I thought I was your favorite rock. What's what? I ha- I- what happened? Let me ask you, what happened?" Why, 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 why would Jesus like that go from what feels like the highest compliment that a person could ever receive to what would have to feel like the hardest, toughest correction, here's Satan. That's, that's all in right there, you know? And here's what I believe the answer is. Because the mission of removing our sin and equipping Peter to take that message to the world is the most important, compelling vision and mission in the history of the universe. And Jesus knows that time is ticking and the moment of truth is right around the corner, meaning there is a limited and shrinking amount of time, energy, and attention before the crap hits the fan. And I think he's looking at Peter going, buddy, you've got to pay attention. You've got to pay attention. You've got to get this because the clock is ticking. Because if you just keep on reading, and I I encourage you to do this later, Jesus, in in the next few years, Jesus will have all these guys in an upper room at dinner and he'll explain to them, okay, I'm gonna go out to here and they're gonna get arrested and then I'm gonna be crucified. And Peter will stand up and goes, I'll die before I let that happen. Then they'll go out to that garden where Jesus will ask all of them, especially three like, special like inner circle, will you pray for me? Just sit here and pray for me. I'm gonna go over there and I'm gonna pray to my father for strength for the upcoming coming trial and the torture and the execution and his strategic relational three-year investments, including Peter, fall asleep three times. And, and, and just a few verses later, Peter and the rest of them all deny him and run for the hills and save their own skin. And Jesus, he's Jesus, he knows all that. Jesus knows all that's coming. I, I, I believe that Jesus knew it the day that, they, that he picked them to invest his life into. But he also knew this, that if he would strategically invest in these rough, nobody would pick guys like this, that a day would come and they would be filled up with God's Holy Spirit and that would change them. And everything that Jesus had invested in them would come to life And they would change the world in his name, which is what happens just a few weeks after this moment. See, here's the thing, and I mentioned this earlier on your options, that I tend to forget a lot when it comes to the strategic relationships that I'm investing in. See, when I'm investing in somebody, I will naturally have hopes and wants and dreams about what they'll do. I pour my life into them, I have some hopes and dreams about what they'll do and how they'll even respond back in my direction. I have hopes and dreams about that. And listen, there's nothing wrong with the people you're pouring your life into going, I have some hopes and I have some wishes and I have some dreams about that. But, but the moment that we, that we make those hopes and wants and dreams, the moment we make those expectations and conditions for us to have a relationship with them, then we set both them and us up for failure. And here's what I mean, think about it. If Jesus had made his decision to quit or keep going to the cross based on how the disciples were going to show up on that night, game over. Right? If Jesus had looked at them and went, Are you kidding me? I have poured, how many have said this to our, never mind. All right. I have poured three years of my life into you, and this is the thanks I get? Thanks a lot. Screw this, I, screw you, I'm out of here, right? That's what we tend to do. Now listen, make, make no mistake, Jesus really wanted these strategic guys to show up and do the right thing at the right moment. Can you just support me? Can you just pray for me? And they didn't do it. They totally failed him. But what, Jesus wanted those guys to do some stuff. But what Jesus needed, those guys, those guys couldn't give him. See, that could only come from one source, his father. I I love love this saying, I don't know where it came from. A few years ago, Scott, our teaching pastor, he brought it in here, but it's too good, it couldn't have been him. So, uh, so (laughs) hi Scott. Anyway, um, remember this, don't try to get from anyone or anything what you can only get from God. Isn't that good? That's a screensaver. Let's just say that together, one, two, three, wherever you are, don't try to get from anyone or anything what you can only get from God. And here's what that means. The most important strategic relationship that you must have in place when it comes to staying on mission, staying on your compelling vision and investing in the strategic relationships in your life that are part of that compelling vision and mission that God has given to you, this is the takeaway. The most important relationship in your life is your strategic relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that one isn't going well, if that one's not strong, if that one's not in place, it is a matter of time. Your mission will eventually fail and you will tap out on investing in your strategic relationships because without him, it's just too hard. It's too frustrating. And you'll run out of time and attention and energy and you'll just quit and it would make sense. So, here's a, let's apply this. It's like, no, let's sing a song to home, all right? So, so let me ask you this. And honestly, if you're paying attention, if you're anything like me, you've been thinking about what I'm about to say for a while. So hopefully you're getting pretty clear on what your compelling vision is for your life and you, someone would ask you like, why do you exist? You're getting better at articulating that. And, and you also believe that, okay, I have the authority to go do stuff like that, right? And along with that, there are a few, and I would say not a lot, like one or two strategic people, strategic relationships in your life that you and only you have been charged with by God to invest in, you and nobody else. Here's my question. How's it going? How's it going with the person or the people that you're thinking about? And if the answer is, it's not that great. Is it possible, I'm gonna throw this out, if it doesn't apply to you, fine. If you were to back away from that relationship and analyze why you're so frustrated and why you're just ready to tap out, let me throw a couple of things out. Could it be because one, you're trying to run them or fix them or control them out of what you think ought to happen in their life, out of your strength, out of your agenda, about what you, ought to, what you want to happen in their life instead of what God may want to do in their life. And the second one would be this, you're frustrated because you're judging the success of your mission in their life by their immediate behaviors and responses in the moment. And if they aren't responding the right way, then you must be doing it wrong, and that feels frustrating. Now listen, maybe you, maybe you need to look at that. let to be honest, you might need to look at that. But honestly, that's not what was going on between Jesus and Peter. Jesus didn't do anything wrong, he did everything right. Peter just wasn't there yet. Yet. See, the th- same thing is gonna happen in the most important strategic relationships in your life. Let me just look at a couple of them, all right? If, if I hit yours, great, but you can do the math, all right? According to God's word, okay, so this isn't my opinion, if you are married, all right, your spouse is the most important strategic relationship that you should be investing in, followed by your children, in that order and in that priority, okay? And then after that, the list is gonna vary a lot. So how's all that going? Right? Let me talk to parents. Could could it be that the reason things aren't going too well with your kids right now isn't because you're doing it wrong or you're off mission? I mean, again, parents, we're, we're not perfect, and you gotta look at that. But maybe, could it be this? Your kids are in their own wrestling match with God, and while you are their parent, you are not their Holy Spirit and they're on their own journey with God. Same with what's going on with your husband or wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your your spouse or your parents or whatever that, whatever strategic relationship is in your life right now that's not going well. If it really is part of the strategic, compelling vision for your life that has been given to you from God, then quitting is not an option. You must keep on doing what God has told you to do and trust that God is doing something strategic in that person's life. You just don't know anything about it. They're doing something between God and them. Right, and again, you're not in charge of their responses and you're not in charge of the results. That's all God. Your job is to keep on investing and doing what God told you to do and leave the rest to him. Or how about this? And I'm kind of laying the plane with this. And they're all tied together to this one. Could, Could it be that the reason that you're exhausted and about to quit on this relationship that you're thinking about right now it's because your own most important strategic relationship with Jesus isn't going that great. And this is just a symptom of that. Because on your own, it's just too hard. Honestly, the only reason that Jesus didn't give up on those roughneck, thick-headed disciples is because he was tapped into his Father who supplied for him what his, these guys were not able to. They weren't supposed to supply, only God. Your children aren't supposed to supply that for you. Your husband's not supposed to supply that for you. Your wife, your girlfriend, your best friend, they're not in charge of supplying what you really need. That is God. Follow me? So I I wanna show you an example of what a great strategic relationship looks like. It's a video I want you to, to, you're gonna grab some Kleenex. Trust me, I've seen it six times, all right? Uh, As you watch this video, I want you to just look at the conversation you're having in your head over the last 30 minutes of the, well, this doesn't apply to me and this, I shouldn't have to be expected and all that, all the excuses that you're coming up with, well, well this, this doesn't work for me. When it comes to what God is telling you to do in this moment, take a look at this and then I'll come right back.
1: If you're in a dark place or anything like that and you don't let people help you, you're not gonna get out of that dark place. You're gonna stay right there.
2: look how short you are. I know, I'm tiny. (laughs) Little 11-year-old there.
1: (laughs) Uh, My name is Dorian, I'm 16 years old.
2: My name is Candace and my son's been in Fathers in the Field for six years now.
3: Well, when Fathers in the Field come out, I mean that was,
1: that was, it just hit me right here. Very nervous, my first thoughts was, oh, this is just another person that's going to abandon me. Yay, thank mm-hmm. you, mom. I didn't care about myself at that time, so it was pretty hard to care about somebody else. Yeah, I think the good saying for that is you can't find love with an empty soul. This was one of the very first things we
3: did. We went to a Bronco game and, you know, he wasn't excited about going.
2: And you didn't want to go at first.
1: No, on the ride there, I was, not very thrilled. When we
3: walked out, he gave me a hug. I mean, that melted me. I was about to go in tears on that one.
1: My favorite memory ever throughout all of Fathers in the Field was our first camp out at Tim's Lake. I never wanted to go anywhere. Um, I was scared of going outside. And when we did service projects, we went to church. I was around people i was getting out again and i realized hey the world is not as bad as it seems from inside it's not
3: as scary my goal is you know i want to lead him to christ and i want him to be able to forgive what's gone on in his life you know i know what he's carrying and uh, there's him uh, and there's hope i just want i want to be a positive so we can see a positive result from a guy in his life an 11 mile hike
1: to catch a single fish <laughs> that that's fishing for you when i really opened up and actually could legitimately say that i loved and cared for this guy was beginning of second year about that i get as much out of as he
3: does you yeah, i love that kid like he's my own. I had the Why Me conversation when I first found out about this. That's a pretty big bomb they drop on you, you know. When they tell you to get your paperwork in order, it kind of puckers things up.
1: I kind of blamed on God a little bit. I was just like, wow, you really don't like me. You bring someone that I care about and you're just going to take them away? All right, okay.
3: Dealing with the cancer and Dorian, you know. Some people might not think it's fair that I do this with, you know, you know, he's already lost once. You don't need to lose again. But I have faith that it's going to work. Uh, but it's out of my hands. I put it in his hands.
2: Through that, I know that, you know, I know where he is. I know that he's not in pain any longer.
1: Knowing what he did, knowing where he is, there's just peace. It's just a good feeling because it's like he was there for me for all these years. He might be gone, but he's still here.
2: His laugh and smile was infectious. He had the best laugh.
1: If I hadn't met Gil, I would probably not be alive right now.
2: I watched this 11-year-old angry, scared, sad, depressed little boy turn into a happy individual, you know, a happy young man. And without Gil in his life, you know, that, I, I don't believe that would have happened.
3: I'll tell you what, he won't forget me. And I'll never, I mean, you can forget him.
0: Like the sixth time I've seen that, and and Gil's service here at Flatterers this past week. Um. Hey, uh, time out. Gil's family and Dorian's family are here somewhere, right? Would you just stand up so we can honor what God has done through your family and what we've done together? Yeah, give it up. It's good. Thank you. Um, um, the first time I saw this was in my gym parking lot. And then I had to go in the gym like this. And I'm like, I'm okay. Gotta work out. Uh, Flowers, we do a lot of good stuff. One of the best things we do is Fathers in the Field. Because there's nothing I can imagine that's more like Christ. Then stepping into someone who says I'm alone and I don't have a father and saying, come here, I'll take care of you. Because that's what he's done for us, right? This is what God has exactly done for us. Now I wanna talk to a specific group of people in here and I'm talking to some men whose hearts are beating different right now. There are some young boys in our church and in this community who need, who need a mentor in their life. You say, well, I'm not, I can't sing, I can't play guitar, I can't either, right? You can't do this, that's okay. You know, you know what, you're a pretty good dad, you're a pretty good pop-up. Right? You're a pretty good big brother, and, 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 you, and you just like to pour your life into somebody else. There are some young men. You know what, there are some single moms. And if you're a single mom, God bless you, you're a champion. But you were never supposed to do this on your own. And that's why the church exists, to come alongside of you, and Fathers in the Field is the way we do that. So men, at all of our campuses, out in the lobbies, there's a, there's a Fathers in the Field presence out there right now. Just stop by there and go, I, I'm not saying yes, I just, I'm just listening to God. Because there's a Dorian out there somewhere who goes, God, you really must not like me. So that's uh, that's the. If we got nothing else out of that, that but what's the next step for you in your storyline? All right, it may be fathers in the field, maybe something else, but there's something that God and you know what. Here's the thing: is, you you know what it is. You hear God saying, and you're having an argument with God right now about what God is telling you to do, and you're going, well, what about, what about, what about? Okay, so I just said, and I won't mention it a lot, but I did. I just finished a 75 hard thing, all right? Which is 75 days in a row of doing five things every day, rain or shine, and we've had a lot of rain and ice and cold over the last 75 days, all right? And you don't give yourself a break, and you don't give an excuse, you just do what you said you were gonna do, and you go do the right thing. Let me just tell you, hey, stop whining. And stop complaining and stop being a victim. If a year from now, your relationships and your marriage and what's going on with your kids, going on with your parents, if it's the same as it is today, because you would not get off the couch and do what God told you to do, don't blame God on that. But it is time for us to go to war. It's time for us to do what we said we were gonna do. I'll give you an example. All right, get ready for your hearts to change, all right? Two weeks from now, it's time for you to get baptized. You hear God saying that to you right now. You need to man up and lead your family down here and baptize your whole family because it's just an outward demonstration is that whatever the past is, is the past. And from this point on, I follow Jesus. And you know what? I have no idea what that means for you, what a fisher of men looks like for you, and neither did Peter. But until you come up out of that water with God's spirit inside of you, with condemnation off of your life, you'll never know what your life could be. So this weekend, you should invite everybody in your family, everybody in your neighborhood, fill up a van and say, come to Easter because I'm getting my but baptize, and then I'm gonna baptize my son, or I'm gonna baptize my dad, and the world will change. I'm just tired of being a victim, oh, Jesus didn't, Jesus took away our victim card and said, you're more than a conqueror with me. On your own, you're done. With me, all things are possible. Do we believe that or not, church? All right, let's stand up, let's stand up. None of that's in my script, all right? I just went off, all right? So uh, let me pray and then we're gonna sing this amazing song, all right? So God, we are your church and we repent of complaining and whining and excuses because you took all those away at the cross. When you didn't vary one to the right or to the left, one, one inch, you went to the cross and then you poured your life into those men who poured their lives into men and women who poured themselves into us and that's why we stand here in this moment hearing that you have a call on our life, that it's not too late for us. It's not too late for us because with your spirit in our life, all things become possible. I pray for the Dorians out there who are waiting on a mentor father. I pray for those men and women in their life who say, I'm not done yet, I have something to offer the kingdom and they're gonna say yes to God. That's by being a student, a student ministry leader, a kids ministry leader, by parking cars on Easter. That's the first step and I'm gonna make this kingdom better because I'm, I'm God's warrior, I am. We're your church and you're our God and your name is Jesus and we worship you. In your name I pray. Amen.